and welcome to Three in a Crowd, the podcast all about creativity, mental health, social change and how they interact. My name is Vanda Canton and I'm an artist, facilitator and researcher. Each week I'll be talking to people using creative and artistic ways to change the way we think. Today I am joined by a very good mate of mine and somebody who not only inspires me creatively, but over the years, we've had many an interesting conversation. From sharing an office in East London to dissecting our lives over Skype throughout lockdown, we have covered a lot of ground. Zane has worked in multiple capacities from mental health practitioner to art director across Europe and South Asia. He is undeniably skilled in curation and passionate about finding beauty in the familiar and the seemingly mundane. His Instagram, for example, is a work of art itself, which uses the power of visual image to convey relationships, faith, culture, fashion, friendship and empowerment. It is my pleasure to introduce you, Zane. Welcome to Three in a Crowd. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm great. And I'm smiling so wide because, I mean, first of all, thank you so much for that introduction. That is incredibly uh, (laughs) overwhelming. Um, but also, you know, you just mentioning the office that we shared in East London and all those memories that we had, mm-hmm. and all those conversations. It's, uh, I just went through like a, a tunnel of memories just then. Um, so it's very nice. I feel great. Thank you. It feels, it feels like it was only yesterday, but actually it's been a couple of years. Since it has been a couple of years, but it was, it was such a poignant period, I think. Um, mm. and I would get I sick, both of us. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, to be reminded of it, 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 it all comes back very instantly and very effortlessly. Mm, mm, me too. Mm. It's nice to look back. Nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> Nostalgia. Since then, though, <laughs> since sharing our little office in East London, you are no longer in an office in East London. You have been doing <laughs> lots of fascinating things over the last year. So yeah. where have you been? What have you been up to? Tell me everything. Okay, what haven't I been up to, hey? So I have been working primarily as an art director over the past year in Lahore, Pakistan, where also my family originates from. Um, It's funny how it happened. Uh, I was visiting Lahore over the spring and I was approached by a designer to meet over a coffee via Instagram. Um, And, you know, I, I was coincidentally in the city at the time she messaged we met a few. We met on a few occasions, and by the end of our last meeting, uh, she offered me to join her as an art director and stay in the hall. Um, and you know, it was for a kind of a textiles house that was looking to reimagine their vision, and they saw something in what I had to say in my little world. So mm. overnight, I just moved across the world and went from being. Uh, sat in an office in East London to being an art director in Lahore. So I've had quite a year. <laughs> Sounds like probably the most productive coffee ever. <laughs> yeah, I was. I bet, wait, wait, I wait. I bet, I bet you had a cappuccino. Am I right? <laughs> yes, you yeah, right. had a cappuccino. I knew it. Was, I knew it. it was past 11 a.m. as well. <laughs> oh, always, Zane, always. I never forgive you for that. <laughs> Listeners, I, let me just I, say to the listeners, you should not be drinking cappuccino after 11. It's okay, just not, that, it's not acceptable. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that because I I, I don't know how many people really know that, about that rule. <laughs> <laughs> cappuccino rules with Canton. That's maybe what I should do for the next podcast. I do, um, I, I'm not even kidding you, Vanda. I'm not kidding you. Every time I sip on a cappuccino, I always look at the time. It could be. I always think of it, I'm like... <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> do you know what I don't know if that's necessarily what I was going for in my career of being remembered when people drink a cappuccino <laughs> but at least I'm on your mind I'll take it yeah what is interesting it, though yeah. thinking of cappuccinos and also our office chats is yeah. I remember really clearly asking you at some point about what it was that drew you to fashion because I am mm. I think interested in learning more about fashion, but mm. I kind of feel like I just don't get it. So you okay. were telling me a little bit about how fashion mm. was significant for you in building your social confidence. So what mm. what kind of drew you to it? How did it all start? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm going to express 
uh, humble opinions, nothing coming from expertise. <laughs> so it's 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 all uh, humble reflections. But um, yeah, out of curiosity, I, I, out of curiosity, why? Yeah. What, what well, makes you say that? Yeah, it might be a bit of a long-winded answer, but so you know, I grew up in a beautiful small English coastal town. You know, and as as with most small towns in England, um, they haven't seen much change in their way of life. And, you know, racial diversity, um, you know, is not as concentrated there as it is in cities like London. Um, I mean, there is racial diversity outside of England, but, you know, in, in smaller pockets, as we know it. But anyway, so when we when we moved to the small town, I remember we felt a lot of fear from people, me and my family. Um, my parents would receive anonymous calls from local residents telling them they're not welcome here because really? they're brown. And, I, and I'm saying that politely as to what was really said. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, equally and equally, I faced a lot of mental and physical abuse in my high school because I was the other. Um, so from a young age, I was very conscious of the fact that uh, the reason for the hate that I received was down to what I looked like. So you can imagine how conscious that makes any young person feel or anyone feel. Um, so as I grew older, I wanted to find ways to both fit in, but also shake off this inadequacy that I felt in being who I was. So, you know, in this small English town where this brown boy is reckoning with himself, my imagination is all that I really had. And I wanted to dream big and get away. So uh, I worked myself towards moving to London for university. And then suddenly I was in a space where the same things I was bullied for, I felt fear of, were now things I was being appreciated for. Um, I guess I was never conscious that I was trying to own who I was through fashion or through the way that I dress. But in retrospect, that was it. I mm. guess I communicated that through the way I related to fashion um, and how I think about it today. Um, it was very much uh, something that related back exactly to how I reflected on myself. Um, clothing is extremely political. You know, you're mm. telling people who you are in so many ways before you've even spoken. And particularly in South Asian culture, you know, it goes beyond surface level expression. Clothing literally demarcates your socioeconomic, cultural and political standing in society. Mm. Um, you know, so... From saris to dhotis to shalwars, um, you know, all various kinds of ways of dressing in South Asia. You know, clothing can tell people from which region or which village or what caste you even come from. So um, I've always been conscious of what that means, you know, and how, how that translates into um, the world here. And I don't remember a moment where I got into fashion or any kind of visual expression but I just remember that in this world where I felt quite limited or felt uh, like I had to shy away from who I was or kind of make myself smaller that my imagination really took me places to feel like there's something beyond all of this there's something mm -hmm. beyond feeling like this um, and so as that, I got that yeah so fascinating though because I think in terms of your aesthetic mm. kind of visually representing your mm. class or your socioeconomic status mm. I'd never really given that much thought but that makes mm. a lot of sense and would you would you say that you see that albeit possibly in a different way but even in the UK do you think that that's mm. still something yeah. you can see or do you think that it's kind of change a little bit more now or is it completely different yeah I think because you know fashion and clothing as we know is always presented in a a, a way where it's like you know we, we want to buy things to make ourselves feel good we want to dress we always want to dress in a certain way that makes us come across a certain way I guess uh, the idea of clothing and dress seeps in in a very subconscious way um, there's not there's not as much kind of like a a conscious language around how really political clothing is. Mm. Um, I mean, I think now in the current day context, um, we've made, you know, great strides in um, really understanding the politics of clothing, um, what it means, where our clothes come from, um, 
where do we want to buy from? What is fast fashion? What is it worth? Um, you know, depending on where, whether you're wearing fast fashion or not, like who does that make you? We're associating clothing more with moral uh, morals and ethical values. So I think there is a growing conversation, but we have a very, very, very long way to go. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, to, to summarize that, the, the idea of clothing is becoming a lot more political so definitely from mm. you know since i've grown up and um to, to what i'm doing now uh especially in my circles like i definitely feel um who you are and what you wear and um how you talk about clothing uh is an extension of uh your moral grounding yeah absolutely mm. i think that's incredibly insightful and mm. something to to chew over i have mm. to say though do you know what i'm thinking of <laughs> what are you thinking you already know it's coming i can see you laughing okay so basically <laughs> i'm i've got no clothes yeah so i have been <laughs> buying shorts like every day okay. just shorts okay. endless shorts nothing fits man nothing Nothing they fair. all look but they all look really bizarre and then i end up having to just endlessly return these shorts i mean maybe i should be shopping outside of the short zone but it's just it's not working out it's just not working but out. it's so and it's so warm in italy right now i don't blame it's, you it's it's very hot it is mm. very hot it's giving me a bit of a, a shiny look right now so i need some <laughs> some shorts <laughs> perhaps i can uh, rope you and tell me with that um but what what about the the differences then in terms of your experience of actually working mm. in the fashion industries mm. and also in curation across western and south asian industries mm. is there a well, difference it's very interesting you asked that vanda because um my introduction to fashion or my introduction to working um, as an art director was in south asia mm. you know even though i grew up here i understood uh fashion and clothing and art and you know my my native culture through growing up in the UK, um, that creative expression really started in Lahore because that's, you know, where I started my uh, uh, spiel in fashion um, that continues till this day. Um, so it's kind of like a reverse migration. So I've, I've started off somewhere completely unfamiliar in many ways uh, by working in an entirely different industry in another country um, and then I'm coming back to the UK and into Europe and relating all that I've learned there. I guess the difference in my personal experience is that, um, so in Lahore, so Lahore is a very much a cultural center. It always has been for decades, if not centuries, um, South Asia. Uh, it was a very important city uh, in the Mughal Empire as well for arts, culture, and fashion all the way up until pre-partition and post-partition. So when I was living in Lahore, there was, uh, it was incredibly easy for me to be inspired and fascinated with so many different things and have tangible access to it. And that for me was incredibly overwhelming and did so much for me in um, understanding who I am in, and what I want to say as an art director, especially working in fashion. So, you know, you have like, you have the jewelry markets, you have the shoe markets, you have the textile markets. Um, and there's just, you know, this very wide access to all these different ways of creative expression. And things work very fast because, you know, uh, Pakistan, as well as India and Bangladesh, as we know it, um, are the centers of uh, manufacturing and production for all the brands that we wear here in the West. So being there at home in Lahore and um, kind of starting my understanding of uh, art and fashion from there, it was, uh, it was like a, it was like a, it was just a complete stimulus. It really like drove so quickly in how I understood fashion. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why um, I was approached to be working there is because I mean, this is what, you know, my boss told me, she she said to me, you know, I wanted somebody who has uh, an understanding of Western fashion, an understanding of what people are talking about there, what people are conscious of, um, but also somebody who understands culture here in Lahore. And I want to, I want to bring a hybrid of that. Um, I want to have a more global conversation. Um, 
And, you know, I didn't assume that perspective because I'm necessarily skilled or experienced, but that's just my life. That's, we've always had to balance um, more than one culture at the same time. Always have to be conscious of being sensitive to more than one culture, navigating our identity in that way. Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, being that way has pushed me then to, um, I guess, find my own story or find my own perspective in working within like a global fashion um, mm. arena. So, Well, that that's yeah. something I would pick up on, actually, because when you were talking about finding what it is that you want to say as, a, as an art director, as a creative director, what do you want to say? what do I not want to say (laughs) I want to say I want to say so much but I think one of the most beautiful things about um being an art director I guess or working in fashion is that you actually don't have to say much because you can talk through your work you you know the way in which you choose to visualize a particular campaign the way you choose to um, tell stories of uh, a piece of fabric or clothing you can do it entirely through imagery and it's up for the viewer to interpret what that means for them um, and that's what's been actually very very comforting for me because I was always afraid or I always feared complexity in expressing who I am and I think a lot of people feel that way we want to give the most simple and the most easy and digestible version to ourselves, mm. to the world, because we're like, you know, we don't want to complicate things. Um, but, you know, hair and clothing, I could style somebody from clothing that is from so many different regions and put it all together. Um, and that's a complex uh, perspective, but it's very I easy love that. Put it out there and just see in one image. So for me, imagery was always imagery, visuals, artistic expression. It just always felt a lot more comfortable and safe to talk through imagery and not through words as much because we could go on for hours <laughs> if we had to. I, if we had to uh, express everything through words. I mean, well, you know how I feel about words. I love a word. Yeah. But what what's interesting about that, though, okay, so many things. Firstly, I feel that that is quite true of many creative expressions. Like that's certainly mm. how I feel about music, that you can mm. you can make something ambiguous so that your audience or your listener or whoever, your, um, I'm trying, is there like a word for people that watch catwalks? What would you call them, an audience? No, spectators? Yeah, 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 spectators. Yeah. Other people, basically. Whoever you're you're trying to engage with whatever creativity mm. you're doing, you leave it deliberately, undeliberately ambiguous so that people can interpret and make it relevant to their lives. So I really what you were saying about that in a, in the context of fashion really makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm also I find the images that you use, you know, when you said the word complex, I was like, that just makes so much sense Mm, mm. in some ways the images that you distribute on Instagram for example Mm. they have such a complexity in terms of the depth and the layers that are going on in the images but at the same time are quite simple so there's a really fascinating dynamic with how you're bringing together two different elements does that make sense? Yeah. No, that completely makes sense. And, you know, I think where that comes from is when I wasn't working in a, a creative industry in the traditional sense, um, I knew I had all of that inside me, but I didn't know how to express it. And I didn't think that I was allowed to express it because I wasn't, you know, this individual who went to a particular art school or an art institution or wasn't formally trained but I was like but I still have this imagination in me I have this vividness in me and I want to bring it out somehow and just using a very simple social media platform felt um right to do that and you know as it has and and social media and Instagram has opened up you know such a huge gateway for people who are not from traditional arts backgrounds um, because there's less rules about how you express yourself in that way. 
Um, so yeah, I, that was just that's me, and that's me a part of that story. Mm. You mentioned as well, um, you know, previously working in a completely different environment, and obviously that's how you know we work together in a mental mm. health service. And so, mm. I mean, you were actually uh, a high intensity practitioner for acceptance and commitment therapy. So, could you tell us a little bit about what that actually means? But the other thing. Mm-hmm is how does that translate or rather do fashion and being a mental health practitioner translate into sex like what's the commonality between them two have you applied one lesson from one area to the other do you think that they they collide do they complement what what's your position on it yeah well I think for me through all the things that I've done in my life through all the roles that I've had um, one thing that's always been consistent in helping me get through all of it or finding success is a willingness to be creative. Uh, mm. So, you know, we can often see creativity as this very abstract, personal, um, almost kind of like a reflection, a reflective state of mind. But creativity is uh, a skill that you have to you know literally uh, build on or it's a muscle that you have to like constantly exercise and um I just did not realize that you know I was being creative all along in my job uh, as a wait 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 though that that is there is like a little golden nugget (laughs) <laughs> which kfc is now running through my head i don't even eat kfc but anyway oh my God. i, I have kfc all of lockdown and one just i haven't had it in like thing. ever i don't think i've ever had a kfc in my life um hashtag oh, you have vegetarian for life i do like the yeah. smell though anyway it's completely unrelated to my question has nothing to do with chickens or <laughs> nuggets but you talk about it being a muscle and a skill that you practice now that is fascinating so do you mm. think that creativity then is a skill and not a talent because I do think there's a difference yeah people people perceive this idea that creativity is a talent that you either have or you do not have but if it's a skill that suggests that there's actually um uh, a practice a a Mm. development a learning that you have to go through I don't think that we'll ever be able to demarcate creativity between whether it's a talent or a skill, but I can definitely say that creativity is in everybody, but they just have to find uh, or be given the right resources to bring it out in the way that's most honest to them. Mm. Um, and I just to illustrate that point, you know, there are there are an endless number of clients that I've worked with who even for even to me at the first instance did not seem to have even one creative bone in their body um but just to see them thrive creatively in so many different um sessions that you know they were a part of uh within a mental health context uh was astounding i was just amazed by how much people can use their personal experiences and you know, I guess you could say pains and traumas, but also happiness to uh, bring it out into bring it through a creative format. And, you know, it. and, you know, there were some clients who just could not uh, find themselves in a in more of like a creative space. Uh, but there are many clients who could, who, who thought they never, they never could. So I, I don't know, I, I, I can't say whether it's definitely a skill or it's definitely a talent. Uh, but it's definitely something that all of us can nurture uh, in personal ways, for sure. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? <laughs> um, I mean, I am definitely, I think I, it's not that I would dispute that talent exists. I think it does. But I think it's, I think everyone has talent, right? And everyone has skill. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I I think what you said about providing the resources to access that is absolutely bang on. And one mm. of the things that I was uh, thinking about as you were speaking, and I have to give you credit for, because it was just, there was something incredibly, incredibly profound about the way you went around doing this. But you were actually running a group, uh, which was a kind of a forum for people that were using the service to come together and talk about 
their experiences in and outside of the service. Now, what you had done is started running effectively art history lessons and political philosophy you know, you were, I remember walking in and you were you were doing a group around Socrates and Plato, I think. I was like, that is amazing. What I love about that is that there was no assumption that somebody that has mental health difficulties could not engage with these artistic or mm. theoretical conversations. Actually, you were encouraging people to talk about a very uh, wide... Mm. Array, array, array of things, mm. um, and I thought that that was really empowering, and that would make sense with what you've just said—that it providing resources, providing opportunity, and perhaps reducing some of the hierarchy around positioning certain people to be able to do certain things, and instead saying, "Well, you know, it, it, it's it's a skill; it takes work, and if you keep at it." Um, I mean, interestingly, though, I've seen now I'm on a bit of a roll. Mm. I also think that there is something to be said for patience because I really want to be a flamenco dancer, right? And I'm definitely not a talented flamenco dancer. And I, well, I hope so. Maybe the world should just be one big flamenco dance. Uh, bag see those like suits, those sharp suits. I love them. But oh, I, yeah. you know, I would go to I would go to dance classes uh, in London, and I'm actually trying to teach myself to DJ at the moment. Now, I definitely have no talent, trust me, for DJing. But if I believe it's a skill, <laughs> I can try and practice it, right? Mm, absolutely. However, I just find that to some degree, there's an element of confidence that you need to find within yourself in whatever shape or format that comes out in. Because when you're not immediately good at something, and maybe it's just me as a bit of a perfectionist, but I find that bit really, really hard to keep on persevering, to keep on. I mean, I did my flamenco steps to my mum once and she told mm. me to not give up my day job. <laughs> I was like, thanks, bro. Watch this space, Ma. I will become the next flamenco Watch queen. But do you know what I mean? It's like it takes a lot of, of, of resilience to develop a, uh, a a belief or a confidence or a, just an openness to engage in whatever creativity you're doing and so maybe that is something that would tap into your mental health work because in terms of maybe you can say something about acceptance and commitment therapy or uh, acceptance mm. and commitment act as it's known and how mm. that might support people to develop that internal drive to keep going even if you're not very good at DJing like me I'm not that bad by yeah. the way I'll get there I don't think you'd be that bad. I can definitely see you as one. Thanks very I much. Have, I have this instinctive vision that you would be a great DJ. And I mean, I'm not bad. Me well. <laughs> well, I'm you definitely can, not you bad. Can, you can try out. We can have like a a party with just you and me and you can like be on the DJs. And we what can... are you doing though? Flamenco I'm just dancing. Dan- I'm just dancing. Yeah, flamenco dancing in my power suit. <laughs> no, I want that power suit though, for real. For real. <laughs> um but yeah so uh, yeah to to go back to your question um I think one of uh, that is really profound what you mentioned around confidence because honestly uh the thing a a lot of the things or other projects that I'm working on now I wouldn't have worked on even a year or even six months ago because I would have told myself I'm not that's my yeah. place is not there I'm not allowed yeah. to do that because I have I because I'm not xyz that's the conversation with myself and you know it only took somebody else from another side to be like I really believe in your vision I really like what you've got why don't you just try something out and do this for me and you know so I just that language and building of that language for yourself um is so profound and I think with act in particular uh there's one exercise uh which always fascinates me um and it's the values based exercise and you know we see it across other um uh therapies as well um is you know you have the you have a deck of cards and in the deck of cards you have all these different values written on them um it could be values like creativity compassion um you know, connection and so forth. And people, the people in the session have to grab these deck of cards and go through them and pick out things that really speak to them. 
um, and it's time limited. So you really can't think for a long time about you know what's standing out for you and what isn't. Um, and it's very surprising for many people what cards they find in front of themselves. Mm. I, I just I didn't realize how important this value was for me because every time I do this exercise, it just keeps coming up at me, but I don't necessarily think about it in my day-to-day life. So it's amazing um, how many how many things that are so important to us or how many things that we value um, we don't allow ourselves to feel because we don't feel we deserve it necessarily. And 100%. can I just also mention that the first time I did the card exercise on myself, it was you facilitating it for me. Of course it was. It's my favourite game. I love, I love, I still do that actually. I do that with, <laughs> um, so I work with yeah. individuals. I'm a, a mentor using music and, and spoken mm. word or spoken poetry to explore mm. mental health. And that's mm. one of the things that I do. Um, and I... <laughs> I'm probably at the weirdest party guest to have, really. I'd be like, hello, I'm here. I don't drink, so I haven't bought you any wine, but I do have a pack of cards with your values on them. So tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. But you're completely right, because what comes up is usually, or for me anyway, it it does tend to be a surprise. Now, the thing is, it's interesting about that, is if you were to shuffle through those cards in somebody else's presence, immediately the value changes. Because some of those things on that card could be um, let me think, generosity, generosity, yeah. kindness, forgiveness could be one. Mm. Now, yeah, it's not yeah. that I don't want to be generous and kind, but that isn't something I feel would be in my top three. Hint, hint. Exactly. I've got another question coming. Um, oh. But but if somebody else is watching what I'm going to pick out, generosity might slide in and something else goes out. So there's an interesting dynamic there about the presence of other eyes or the other whoever that is and society and and the values that we're supposed to have Mm. but perhaps unpacking what we actually want is the journey to start finding the confidence to live it I feel like that was really profound, but also no, it was very, very sense. profound. I no, think no, I just I was... said it in a dramatic way. That it no, no, you did not. I mean, I yeah, no, I, I completely wholeheartedly agree with that. And yeah, I have seen it. I have seen it in, in how it affects people in their lives and how much it changes in the way that they uh, shift their perspectives. What would be uh, one of your values now? The one that you're kind of driving towards? So... It's always shifting, um, but I think it's particularly because I've been going through a lot of changes in the past couple of years, uh, more than I have, you know, at any other kind of period in my life. But I have got these, the, I've got three magic C's. Three <laughs> is the magic number. <laughs> three, From... yeah, exactly. Three is a crowd. All about the three. Three is not a crowd. Yeah, yeah, all about the threes. But um, creativity, mm-hmm. commitment, and uh commitment oh that's a good one yeah 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 Yeah, exactly interesting yeah and how do you I'm trying to think of the way I want to ask it's not manage it but how do you check yourself to see whether you're aligned with your values or do you well you know what my values have really helped me um come to terms with it's I'm always feeling like I need to be in a very neat box Mm. so it's easy for people to understand and I think a lot of us feel that way and I you know I mentioned this earlier as well Um, but through all of the different things you know from as far as being a mental health practitioner to being an art director in South Asia, um, there's actually so, there is a thread of commonality between all of that work for me. Um, And it has been the fact that they have all aligned with my values. And, you know, I want creativity, you know, a sense of expression. It doesn't have to be in any particular way. But as long as I feel like I'm expressing creatively, creatively what I feel, um, it's it's the kind of expression that gives me the most the most of a high, I guess you could say. Um, and mm. 
commitment. I think through all the changes, through all the uh, varied experiences that I have, you know, I, I sometimes don't feel like I'm going through this like linear, stable um, journey. And that can be frightening sometimes for people. Um, mm. So I want to feel if I'm committed to anything, I want to be committed to these values that feel really important to me. So, and, you know, commitment in how I relate to my closest friends, commitment in how I um, give time to my family or commitment in um, showing up for certain things that are important for me. Those, those, those things that, you know, are kind of small practices, but make up a very big part of, you know, your values. Um, that for me is really important. So commit, I need to feel like I'm, I'm executing commitment towards things mm. that are important to me. And uh, cooperation. I want to feel like I'm, and not cooperating necessarily with others. I mean, obviously, I, I want to cooperate with <laughs> I cooperate with others, but I want to cooperate with myself. I want mm. to tell myself that you know it's okay if you have all of these different things that you have your hands in, um, and you know you want to give time to all of them, but it's okay. Cooperate with yourself and with all of these different parts of yourself. Um, and let them just work together and it will all fall into place. And, you know, I wouldn't be doing this podcast and we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for all the different elements of my life that mm. aligned to make me who I am. So, you know, there's always a space somewhere where you make sense. <laughs> mm. And I, and I, and I want to, and I'm, as I'm growing older, I'm finding those spaces and, and it feels good. Mm, I relate to that a lot. Mm. I kind of feel yeah. like I, I never I never really fit in. Exactly. But then at the same time, <clears> I can kind of dip in and dip out of different worlds, which is to some degree is a privilege. And also it, it means yeah, that I'm yeah. seeing different elements of the world, um, mm. even though I also don't ever quite fit in somehow. But that's okay, you know, like that that doesn't necessarily, it's not a negative thing to not fit in at all yeah exactly yeah 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 no and I'm not gonna lie I still feel very conscious uh, about all of those things about fitting in or not fitting in or having a more linear journey or whatever it is but uh you know there are ways to speak to yourself in a different language that can help you really appreciate uh all these different facets of yourself and you know that sounds a bit airy-fairy and cheesy but it's it's really coming from experience and mm. you know there are some profound By the way, moments no you're gonna say so. okay I'm just gonna have to interrupt your profound moment with a um <laughs> a comment that I don't mind a little bit of cheese I just don't mind the whole farm do you know what I mean but a little bit of cheese there's nothing wrong with that at all but anyway nothing go wrong on with a bit of cheese exactly no, <laughs> Um, no, I'm just. I was just gonna say there are some. There are very key moments in my life uh, that have suddenly just come in front of me and told me that it's okay to be X, Y, Z, and I have to, you know, whilst we're having this conversation, conversation, really put it down to, you know, one of those moments being shared with you, you know, telling me that it's okay to have all of these different parts of yourself, and it's okay to try and make them work. Um, and it's okay to be that person. That in itself is a being. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I really appreciate, you know, having friends like you who've built that language for me. I feel very proud of you to hear you saying that, like really proud of you. Um, I mean, one of the that. things that I, one of the reasons as well that I wanted to have you in the podcast is because your work, is so multifaceted and you have all of these different avenues and ways of piecing things together and thinking things through which is very unique and isn't something that you find everywhere and it's different and that's perfect you know like it why do we you're talking about boxes like who wants the box like let's just be something else entirely yeah <laughs> i don't want a box else. 
We've Let's been in a, a box triangle. since Corona. Oh my triangle! <laughs> I've got tattoos of triangles. You know I love a triangle. Oh and guess how, and like guess how many points? Three, three, three. Oh my three god! Look at us roll. Three dim, three dim. Speaking, speaking of three, I, I mean, one of the ways that I would describe your work, for example, is is kind of like a triple threat, right? So on the one hand, you've got the brain and the mind. So you've got that kind of academic, philosophical thinking and, you know, ways of of navigating uh, the world. On the other, you've got that kind of the heart and the soul. So the passion for working with other people, for working in mental health, for advocating around that. But then what would fashion be? The hair, because you have really great hair. (laughs) or maybe maybe fashion is the eye like the way that you see things and it's because of yeah. all the elements that you do see things in a in a particularly creative way and you are able to mm. curate and and overlay mm. these different images to to make a full story yeah 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 and i never really think of myself in these ways until you know someone very kind like you says it to me so it's it, <laughs> it feels very overwhelming and you know I I would I could not even bring myself to even call myself uh an artist or an art director even that took me a very long time to be able you to call yourself that, that now uh with a lot of reluctance <laughs> but I do call myself that um I'm getting there. Yeah, I'm getting there. Mm. Give it a go. I'm yeah. saying I'm an artist. Oh, God. How daunting. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm getting there. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is weird that calling yourself an artist in particular does seem to have so many. Maybe it's because art, I suppose, is seen through the eye of other people so it almost feels like a contradiction to say you're an artist because you're kind of is it about waiting for somebody else to call you an artist or what but actually that doesn't make any sense because we create for ourselves as much as for anyone else so I think absolutely it's it's right to call yourself an artist like I think you're an artist yeah yeah no thank you for that that's that's actually really insightful yeah I'm glad full of insight me so Zane what's the three it is time for me to ask you a variation of the question that I'm asking everyone I've been thinking long and hard about the deep and meaningful <laughs> questions I can ask and okay. the question I would like to ask you mm-hmm. is what three things do you just not get so <laughs> for example <laughs> Things Goodness, you just don't get. Really Mine. Do you know what though? My number one has to be Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin about? Do you know what I mean? And I have spent quite a substantial <laughs> amount of my time asking people about Bitcoin, but never actually waiting for the answer. So I still don't know what it is. And the other one that yeah. I just don't get, 5G. Like without even thinking about the conspiracy theory. I don't care about the conspiracy theory because I don't even understand what 5G or 3G, <laughs> all of the Gs. I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, I, def- I definitely don't understand Bitcoin. I just associate them with those YouTube adverts that you have to skip, you know, after four seconds or however long it is. <laughs> so, I mean, have- I'm with you on in that one. I don't have any answers for you there. I'm sorry. It's all right. I don't think I really want to know the answer. <laughs> I never wait yeah. for it. It's just there's something, I don't know, I obviously have some kind of investment in just endlessly wondering about what Bitcoin is. Uh, well, I'm going to definitely go and Google Bitcoin tonight and read up all about it. You've made me very curious. Tell me in your own words what Bitcoin is. What's yours though? <laughs> what three things do you just not get? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, what three things did I just not get? Um, okay, the South Asians are really going to come for me with this answer, but so paratas, I don't know if you know of paratas. Yeah, so it's just kind of like a... I didn't... Yeah, go on. Uh, it's like a fried bread. Yeah, I mean, round. 
Yeah, <laughs> I mean, everyone's gonna hate me for simply describing it as a fried bread, but I mean, it's you know you could compare it to a roti or a naan bread. Uh, it's it's in that category. Okay, so parathas, especially now you know having spent a year in Lahore, everybody loves parathas. Like everybody, just, <laughs> I didn't know meet a single person who was like, mm, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't love parathas. So I, for the whole time, I was like, you know, what are my taste buds all about? Like, why do I just not love this thing that is just a unanimously iconic for everybody else? And I just kind of went on this year-long search to find other people who maybe don't like parathas, and I didn't find them. So <laughs> I just don't get it. I don't get, I don't get parathas. <laughs> all right, you're uh, being out of the box. <laughs> yeah um but you know let's see if i as i get older i i, I might start enjoying them i don't know <laughs> three things okay oof uh i definitely get it now just to like clarify i definitely get it now but when i was younger maybe i guess between six to ten i just could not get my head around how hair growth works <laughs> Like, I used to be like, does it grow from the top or does it grow from the bottom? But if it grows from the bottom, when you shave it off, how does it grow? Because there's no top or bottom to grow from. The hair on your head. Yeah, the hair on your head. (laughs) (laughs) Because I also my mom had very long hair, like down to her knees. And I was like, where, like, is it just going to keep extending at the bottom or is it going to grow from the top? I just could not get my head around it when I was younger. And even if someone would explain it to me, it would make sense. I'd be like, no, there's got to be more than this. Like, your hair can't just grow from the top of your head. <laughs> what do you mean it, what by if, it can't and, grow from the top? Where else could it grow from? As in, like, the bottom as well. <laughs> I mean, can I, I'm just clarifying. I obviously know now. <laughs> I don't completely... know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Honestly, like it was, it really took up a lot of my um, headspace. <laughs> it's taking <laughs> up child. a lot of mine. It's taking the bottom, the hair growing from the bottom. I mean, do you mean like hairy feet or what? <laughs> no, I mean in the sense that, like, say you have a long hair of you, you have a long head of hair. I always used to be like, it's just the hair grow from, just the hair grow from the bottom like of the the length or from the top at the root <laughs> and obviously I knew that it grew from the root but I was like but what about the bottom like why is it why can it not go from there so I'm just I still baffled go- about what the bottom is <laughs> you know I'm gonna be up all night <laughs> thinking what is the bottom no, as in like this the end of the strand of your hair oh like, like the, the like strand. split ends Split ends, exactly. Oh, yeah, that was another thing. And somebody was like, oh, well, that's why you get split ends because your hair grows from your root, not from the bottom. And I was like, I just don't <laughs> believe this. Um, so <laughs> I mean, like, you get it out. But, you know, that was really, it really opened me up to a lot of philosophy. Um, <laughs> and, and the third thing, the third thing, what do I just not get? Um, what do I just not get? Oh God! <laughs> Myself. <laughs> don't we all, mate? Don't we all? Who does? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't get myself, as probably everybody's realised from listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> mate, I'm hosting it, so you're in good company <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but maybe yeah. I mean, like, maybe that's I don't know. I think that's kind of a good thing, though. Like if you mm. if you've always got a question about yourself, you've always got something to consider. You've always got something to be open with. You know, like if if we're very dogmatic and we do fit into these boxes or we do align with other people's perceptions of us, then we would mm. never create anything because it would just be. I mean, the world would be so boring, right? If everyone was just like, okay, this is this is me. I fit in this box and I don't question anything and I just Google yeah, I Bitcoin mean, those- every night. Actually, those are the kind of people I respect, but I do not get. I'm like, you just know who you are and this is it. Like, this is 
this is what you want from the rest of your life. I find it amazing and I really respect it. I think it's incredible. And I sometimes... I would challenge you on that. that I would challenge you on it. I wish it was that easy for me. (laughs) I don't think anyone truly, truly does feel like that. I think it might be that we... You know, if you think about ways that... I mean, we were even talking about it earlier, right? Like the the difficulty of of defining yourself as an artist sometimes, whereas other people might see you that way. It's like we never... Our internal yeah. monologue is often so not reflective of how other people see us. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and I guess we're all performing in a way. Absolutely. So, Zane, where can people mm. find you if they want to find out more? They can find me on Instagram. That's the easiest way. So it's at Z-N-A-L-I. So uh, come over, send me a message, say hello. Let's have a chat send your bitcoin and bottomless hair questions there (laughs) (laughs) oh my god and whilst you're at it when you're uh, on instagram following zane you can follow me to my Mm. i'm gonna say my handle but i don't know if anyone calls it that anymore but anyway my name is vanda canton that's w-a-n-d-a and my website is vandacanton.co.uk zane it's been a pleasure Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an honour. Thank you so much. I look forward to WhatsApping you my Bitcoin questions soon. I can't wait. (laughs) Fun times ahead. Thanks for listening to Three in a Crowd with Vanda and Zane. Bottom of the alphabet, top of the game. Don't forget to leave a rating and comment on iTunes or wherever you're listening as this will help other people to find us. Tell a friend and get them involved in the conversation. We'll see you next time.